Hello and welcome back to CBON Air's Partners in Focus series. I am Rachel King, Associate Editor for Central Banking. In today's podcast episode, we'll be discussing one of the most talked about financial phenomenons of the year, central bank digital currencies. Over the last four years, the share of central banks actively engaging in some form of CBDC work has grown to over 80%. Even more surprising is perhaps the fact that about 60% of central banks are now conducting experiments or proof of concepts. Joining me for today's discussion is Imran Khan, Head of Partnerships at BIT, the firm supporting the recent launch of the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank CBDC pilot, Dcash. Thank you for joining me today, Imran. Thank you very much, Rachel. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Glad to be talking to you about the launch of Inaira in Nigeria, as well as BIT. Great. So obviously your colleague Simon appeared on our series earlier this year and shed some light on some of your previous projects. Um, And as you've mentioned, this episode, we're going to focus on your latest project, which has been in Nigeria. Um, So to start us off and to sort of introduce the audience to the project, I wondered whether you could explain why Nigeria is so ripe for CBDC issuance and expand upon why its economy lends itself so well to this form of payment. So one of the stated goals of the Inaira initiative is promoting financial inclusion. And in fact, BIT and each of its employees are deeply motivated by this mission to provide accessible and low-cost real-time payments to everyday people. The Nigeria already benefits from an advanced financial infrastructure and has a strong fintech ecosystem and very strong tech talent. We've met and worked with many of them during the project. Nigeria has a really large population, over 200 million people, and we'll go into how that changes things based on our previous deployments. There's a desire for the Central Bank of Nigeria to really reach a large segment of the unbanked citizens. So we think that the CBDC technology product that we have can serve actually as a catalyst to help this mature payment sector to build upon everything it already has and develop creative solutions that have yet to be managed to further anchor Nigeria as one of the most progressive fintech regions in the world. But that's not the only thing. There's also the increasing the resiliency of the national payment infrastructure There's enabling direct welfare disbursements, um, facilitating remittances, and there's also real-time insights that could be used for monetary policy. Thank you, Imran. So you've set the scene for us. Um, Obviously, Nigeria is very unique in its financial ecosystem. As you said, again, it's got a very ripe fintech sector. The population is asking for new means of payment. Um, But what I really wanted to dig into in, in this next part would be to how this project differs from the one that you launched in the Caribbean. Because obviously, again, the Caribbean is a very unique environment. It lends itself well to this sort of decentralized type of payment. So I wondered whether from a technical perspective, you could explain how your project with the Central Bank of Nigeria differed from the ones that you started before. Sure, there are quite some things that are different on this one. So the CBN wanted Inaira's usability to be on par with the advanced payment systems that are already in Nigeria. Nigerians already know mobile payments and they're very well accustomed and have certain norms that are specific to that region. Access and safety of money had to be really top of mind when we deployed there. Mm-hmm. And the BIT, uh, BIT uh, team actually worked very closely with the Central Bank in Nigeria to figure out what are the exact use cases, the scope and other factors, such as the functional ethical monetary policy requirements for the solution. So before we go into all the things that made it different compared to the prior deployments, let's go into what made them the same. Mm -hmm. So the 
what's actually the same in all of them is we actually use the digital currency management system product that we've perfected over the years. And it's the exact same product that was delivered slightly differently from one implementation to the other. I'll get into that afterwards. Leveraging a product actually reduced the cost, the time to market, and the risk of the deployment. So um, there's also uh, all the deployments actually leverage a lot of the learnings from one implementation implementation to another. So when you mint digital currency, you really want to keep top of mind all the governance, the security, and the protocols around that. So as we deploy them, we continue perfecting how these should be done to ensure maximum security. Now, what makes them different? In the Nigerian and Caribbean deployments, the product is actually configured to be a CBDC enabler. And they are actually digital currencies that are legal tender. Banks are actually acting as intermediaries. But in Belize, the deployment is one of a stable coin where the bank has direct access to users. So that's a clear difference between the deployments and our product could be customized to be one or the other, CBDC or stablecoin. Lots of similarities, but some particular differences. There's another thing that was quite different, which I mentioned earlier, is that Nigeria is very different than Caribbean in the fact that Nigerians rarely go and visit banks in person. So we had to prioritize bank integrations as part of the initial deployment in Nigeria. And that was quite a challenge considering the really short timelines that we had. I must say that I was really impressed by the speed at which the banks were able to mobilize and collaborate on these integrations. And today, Nigerians are able to go to their mobile banking apps and their online banking portals and actually move funds between their deposit accounts and their e-Naira wallets in both directions. So I just wanted to touch on something that you, you said, which was obviously you've got this core platform which forms the basis of most of your projects. Now, our listeners may not be as aware of this, but obviously BITS system is designed to be interoperable with various other forms of technology, specifically blockchain, which I guess ultimately underpin your solution. So given that the blockchain space is evolving at such a rapid pace, I wanted to ask you, given your, your leadership role within the CBM project, how you're ensuring your own system remains agile to the new technology that's being developed within the space? That's an excellent question. So BITS DCMS, the digital currency management uh, solution, is actually interoperable with any institutional grade transaction network. So we have in-market solutions with Hyperledger. We're working with Stellar right now on another implementation in another jurisdiction. And we're working on incorporating other networks such as Corda, Quorum, and many others. So we work with our clients to actually determine which one is the best for their particular context. And in addition to that, DCMS is interoperable with the existing financial infrastructure. So we can interconnect with the national payment systems, also the core banking systems, payment service providers, and more. So our, our solution actually provides all the applications required to issue and manage currency. And we have the applications for all the major stakeholders, but these can be swapped out for applications of their own. So they can actually do that by leveraging our APIs, the SDKs, and the plugins that we provide. So that way, a financial institution that might have the means and have that preference of using what they already have, they can integrate their core banking system with our DCMS. But a smaller credit union could just simply leverage the applications we provide. So, of course, all those applications could be skinned and repackaged the way they would like them. I also wanted to just touch on if we look if we look to the future, for instance, obviously financial inclusion and ensuring members of the public retain access to central bank money. 
are key drivers, at least to the to the CBDCs that we've seen launched, and also in both your projects, it seems that these are key drivers. I wanted to ask you how you see these trends evolving in the future as more and more central banks make that move from research to practical application, whether you see that that financial inclusion actually improve. Well, that's true. Financial inclusion is definitely a very strong driver for the central banks to consider CBDCs, especially the first few countries that have launched projects in market, whether they're live or, or in pilot. Uh, with the decline of cash, those that are the most vulnerable are actually at risk of being further removed from the future of commerce. Where continued where the continued the uh, acceptance of cash is at risk, it's not guaranteed even for brick and mortar retailers. And CBDCs could really help with financial inclusion, but not only that, it also helps with the digitization of economies, which provides tremendous new opportunities for growth and elevating communities. And we've seen that in the Eastern Caribbean uh, region. And we can't forget that this increased competition uh, with this new payment network driven by CBDCs will actually reduce the cost of payments and international fund transfers. And that includes international remittances, which are extremely important for those who receive them. And I'm thinking about that example because of Nigeria. That was another main driver for them. So knocking off just a few percentage points in cost of those international remittances, the inflows into Nigeria, would translate into a direct improvement of quality of life for those recipients. But thinking beyond financial inclusion, cost of payment remittances, more and more countries are getting into CBDCs and are going to be launching these in the years to come. And I think the conversation will start moving from a primarily local focused one to an international one. And there are some nice experiments that are being done right now with the BIS on how different CBDCs can interoperate and uh, work with one another. And this would mean an increase in international trade supported by cheaper, faster and easier digital payments. Yeah, we've certainly seen a lot of progress made by the BIS with the M bridge and also that just their cross-border payment um, initiatives that they've got going on that integrate or leverage CBDC use cases. Now, I just wanted, before we finish, to turn back to something you you touched on, which was um, stablecoins. So obviously, you've recently had a launch in Belize, um, which wasn't related to CBDC, but was to stablecoins. Now, for the majority of our audience, they'll be looking at how CBDCs and stablecoins will interact with one another in the future, because obviously, in some instances, central banks have looked into CBDCs as a way to not compete with stablecoins, but to react to this new asset entrant into the market, which has in some ways threatened what they're doing. So I wanted to ask you how far you think CBDCs will disrupt the new stablecoin space that we've seen emerge. CBDCs are simply a digital form of the national currency. And a stablecoin is a token that aims to be pegged to the value of another asset, typically a national currency. And for this reason, I believe that the public will really understand that CBDCs offer a greater level of safety with the reduced risk of fluctuation in value and reduced risks around counterparty risk. And I think a well-designed CBDC should serve the people regardless of profitability. Now, however, I, I think that both can actually coexist. And in the future, they'll actually interoperate with one another. And I have no doubt that stablecoins are going to support more innovation and even identify new use cases for this new form of money. So the, the private sector should really be encouraged to push the boundaries of what's possible and identify new opportunities for the transmission of value in a fully digital context. 
And these innovations should be carefully studied by the central banks for consideration in the CBDC endeavors. So there could be subsequent phases where CBDC functionality keeps adding upon one another and enabling greater use cases. Thank you, Rachel. No, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think the private sector have pushed the central banks to innovate in a space where perhaps they weren't sitting back and letting things sort of chug along um, at a natural rate of pace. But yeah, the, the stable coins really have pushed them to be more innovative and think outside the box. So it'll be interesting to see how those um, both assets evolve, I guess, over the next five to 10 years, because I have no doubt that we'll see more CBDC launches, but whether the stable coins will remain as popular as they are now, um, I think remains to be seen. But thank you so much for coming on our podcast today, Imran. It's been really helpful. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. Have a good day.